the good news is the more shovels are going to be going in the ground this spring and this summer than any time last year. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Today is Tuesday, March 2nd, and that was Vice President Joe Biden at the top. He was talking about stimulus projects in Florida yesterday. Today on the show, well, Alex, I think if you tell us the Planet Money indicator, that'll get us right on path. Okay. The indicator is 8,851. All right, 8,851. Okay, I'm just going through all the economic data I have in my brain. I know what that must be. That must be the difference between the per capita GDP of Jamaica and the per capita GDP of Barbados. You are correct. $8,851,000 in GDP per capita. That is the difference between Jamaica and Barbados. And that GDP gap tells a huge story, a story we're going to be exploring on our podcast today. Of course, something that we see as central to the mission of Planet Money is to put a human face on abstract economic numbers. And Alex, you and I have said many times, there is no number more abstract but more important than GDP per capita. Right. When economists talk about GDP, it's like they're talking about love. And you often are like, what are you... What are you talking about? (laughs) For them, it's so important. For the rest of us, it's a bunch of letters and words that we don't understand. But GDP per capita, basically, you divide the amount of money that is spent in a particular country in a year by the number of people in that country. And what that tells you in, in rough terms, it's a way to compare how rich different countries are. Right. So Jamaica's GDP per capita is $5,571. Barbados's is 14422 So that's a little over 5000 versus 14000 Barbados is almost three times richer in GDP per capita than Jamaica. Just by way of comparison, the U.S.'s GDP per capita is $45,230. So we're three times richer than Barbados. Barbados is three times richer than Jamaica. But we're not here to gloat. We're not here to gloat. <laughs> no. And boy, Liechtenstein. We were looking at GDP per capita. <laughs> exactly. Everyone wishes they lived in Liechtenstein yeah. or Qatar. The Norwegians are laughing at us right now. Right. Yeah. So now the reason we're looking at Jamaica and Barbados is that they're a really convenient way to compare two economies because they're two countries that are very similar in a lot of ways. They have similar populations, similar histories, similar governments. And... By holding all of those things constant effectively, it allows us to understand this thing, GDP per capita, and how it actually affects people. Right. When GDP grows, people get richer, obviously. They have more money to spend on things they want. But governments also have more money to spend on things that society values, which often means roads, police, and education. of the Jamaican education system. (laughs) (laughs) So, Adam, you know, I just got back from a trip to Jamaica and Barbados. I missed you, man. I I missed you, too. Um, And I was was looking at trying to put a human face on this this gap, this, this GDP per capita gap. And one of the things that I did is I looked at the educational systems in both countries. Um, And I went and visited a school in each country, and I tried to make them similar schools. So I visited uh, elementary schools, both in poorer working class inner city neighborhoods. Um, And first, we're going to go to Jamaica. So the woman ringing the bell, that's Candy Lee Crooks-Smith. She's the principal of Almontown Elementary School in Kingston. And she took me on the tour of the school. It's a, it's a pretty small school. It's got a couple hundred students. And it's, it's three sort of concrete cinder block buildings, maybe three stories tall. And they're surrounding this sort of concrete parking lot slash 
playground. Um, you know, the buildings are pretty institutional, drab-looking buildings, but they've been spruced up with bright-colored paint. Um, and the neighborhood where the school is located, Almondtown, it's an inner-city poor neighborhood in inside Kingston. Um, it's got these really narrow streets, low sort of concrete bungalows type of thing. The streets are almost more like alleyways, what you'd consider alleyways here. And you were telling me it's actually a sort of sketchy, scary neighborhood a little bit. It, it, it has a history of a lot of violence, especially gang violence. Yeah, it's a big problem in Jamaica generally, yeah. Yeah, and in Almondtown in particular. Yes. And you told me the thing that amazed me the most was that there was recently like a Middle East summit of gang leaders where they actually called a truce? Right. Yeah. Candy Lee Crooks, the principal of the school, told me about that. She actually grew up in this neighborhood. We're having a calm. Um, they have said that they have signed a peace treaty. Um, so all is well. Once they have an outburst, um, there's a limitation in terms of access to the other roads and so on because war infractions might cause, you know, problems. Mm-hmm. So Candy Lee is basically, you know, she's got her school and she's trying to make it into a haven for kids in the neighborhood. But a lot of what she does, she has to find her own funding for um, because the government doesn't have enough money to provide for a lot of things in the school system. And so she just points these things out as we go on a tour of the school. So this... So this class was a health class. They were solving multiple choice questions. And um, I was standing next to this group of boys. There were maybe 10 or 11. And every time they got an answer right, they'd jump up and down and start celebrating. Again, I looked at it. It was really cute. Um, but Candy Lee pointed out that the new whiteboards that sat in the front of this classroom, they didn't come from the government. The whiteboard uh-huh. um, was actually provided by the teacher himself um, because the school can't afford to, to change the chalkboards. Um, so, and so you, you'll have teachers. As I said, the teachers have been working very hard. So um, where there's a need, if we can't help, they actually go into their own pockets and they fill the need. Mm. Yeah. I actually talked to the teacher who built the whiteboard. I, I bought the formica and the plyboard and I um, arranged and set it up myself. Did you just build it here? I built it here. So this kind of thing happens all the time at uh, Candy Lee School at Almondtown Elementary. She's forced to scrounge for resources wherever she can um, because the government can't provide them. So, for example, we walked around the neighborhood with her a little bit. And literally, I'm not kidding, every person that she passed she knew. And most of them she'd somehow roped into doing some kind of work for the school. Like there's this guy who's like a sort of a part-time laborer and he did like maintenance work around the school. Um, There's another guy who was helping out with music classes. And the music classes themselves were actually... They only existed because Candy Lee had convinced a Jamaican pop star to pay for a music teacher for the year. The government didn't provide a music teacher. Um, and even the U.S. government, she was getting money from Almondtown as part of this USAID-funded program called Expanding Educational Horizons, which provides money for schools in Jamaica. And through EEH, the Expanding Educational Horizons, Candy Lee was able to purchase some computers and a small computer lab. And the more I hear about Almondtown and this amazing principle, I think, God, what about the schools that don't have such an amazing principle. Exactly. None of this stuff would have existed in some of these other schools because it's, you know, it's, it's sort of up to her. The government can't provide it. Right. It's just her hobbling together all these charitable donations. And even with all the help she's been able to wrangle out of every single person in her neighborhood, Kenny Lee is up against such long odds. It, it was so shocking to learn how the Jamaican school system works. Every sixth grader takes this competency test. And this is a, probably the most important moment of your 
professional life and you're only like 11. <laughs> yeah, basically. If you score well on the test, you get to go to one of Jamaica's good high schools, which they call traditional high schools. If you score poorly on the test, you're placed into a different type of school. And this so confusing to me. For some reason, the really lousy schools are called upgraded high right, school. Exactly. You yeah. really don't want to go to an upgraded. You don't want to go. Just keep that in mind. Traditional school equals good school. Upgraded school equals not so good school. And Candy Lee says, if you land in one of the non-traditional, one of the upgraded schools, the bad schools, the bad schools, then your options for the rest of your life really are, are pretty limited. The odds are more against them. And what does that mean when the, when the odds are getting... What does that mean? They graduate and... and for, for most of them, in the non-traditional high schools, we have a lot of behavioral problems because these are the low achievers. And I think most of the students just basically give up. I know in times past, when I just started here, I had... I taught the grade 6 level, and um, I had students who achieved 70s, 80s, and they were still placed in a non-traditional high school with the students who got 10s and 20s, and um, they, they stopped working because there was no motivation there. I mean, I did, I did my best, and I'm still in a school with those who did nothing. Technically, what we have done is to ration life chances. This is Andrew Holness. He is the Jamaican Minister of Education, and he's well aware of the problems facing students like those at Almontown. Um, if they don't make it to a traditional high school, their options are limited to low-paying, non-skilled work. And a lot of students in this situation might drop out of the labor force entirely and find work in the so-called informal economy in Jamaica, which could mean drugs, which could mean gangs, or it could simply mean under-the-table work, you know, selling stuff on the side of the road or that sort of thing. Um, and here again, the amount of resources the government has at its disposal to spend on education is a big problem. It's a big problem for Andrew Holness because there aren't enough schools in Jamaica. He figures he needs around an extra billion dollars U.S. to build 150 new high schools so that those kids that Candy Lee was talking about, the decent but not spectacular students who score in the 70s or 80s on their tests but still can't get into the good high schools, he needs to build schools so that those guys have a place to go instead of being consigned to a low-performing upgraded school where they know the odds are against them. And because there's not enough high schools for kids like this to go to, that all-important test that Candy Lee's sixth graders have to take, it's not really a skills assessment, he says. It's a rationing mechanism. We don't have enough secondary places. We only can accommodate 67% of the secondary age population. So we have to ration. So we select the best grades and then we place them in schools that have a, have a track record that match their grades. But there's a strong correlation with doing well in primary school at that level and your economic background. And so technically what we have done is to guarantee persons who, who have a good economic background already an even better economic background. So education, instead of being the equalizer, has contributed to the inequity and unevenness in the society. And so, Adam, of course... Candy Lee, the principal at Almontown, she knows all of this. She knows all these statistics. And um, basically, she knows that this test that they take in sixth grade is sort of determined for the rest of your life. And, and it weighs on her mind. And in fact, there's this one student in particular that she says she worries about all the time. He gives a lot of trouble in school, behavioral problems. But he's a brilliant boy, um, reading way above the grade two level. But he comes to school, he's unclean. He doesn't stay in the classroom. He fights a lot. Um, 
And when I asked him, you know, what would you like to become? He said he wants to be a pilot. Mm. So I told him I'm going to find a pilot for him to speak with and to find out how that person became a pilot. You know, so um, off the top of my head, I think about that child all the time. <laughs> He's mm. just seven years old. And that's why I'm so worried because at seven years old, he is like this. Then what's going to happen next year, two years from now, three years when he's 10? You know, I don't see a positive future for him um, if he continues how he is. Um, the guidance counselor has been working with him. His classroom teacher loves him <laughs> so much. I mean, you're doing so much with with the resources that you have. Do, do you think if I if I if I had more resources, there's all these things that I would do. What what would you do? I'd purchase instruments for the students to use <laughs> because you can't be teaching music and then there are no instruments for them to, to do the practice on. And also, um, I have pulled the students who are reading below grade level and um, I have hired a reading teacher, I'm not paid by the ministry either. <laughs> We're basically paying for that person. Um, but I'm thinking if I could get... Um, just one extra person in every classroom to focus on the reading alone, I think we would achieve way more than what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. All right, Adam? Yeah? You ready to go to Barbados? I would love to. Let's go. What does that bell mean? That, that bell means that we have to go back to our classes and start a new lesson. Oh, of course, I know that bell. That's the bell of the Lawrence T. Gay Primary School in Barbados's largest city, Bridgetown. That is right. I got a tour of this school with Beverly Paris, the principal there. Um, and the neighborhood is, is very similar in makeup to Almondtown, the, the school in Jamaica. There's, it's a working class, lower middle class neighborhood. Beverly Paris, the principal there, says there's plenty of kids that come from one parent homes. Some of the parents are in prison. Crime is a problem, although there's not anywhere near the gang warfare that there is in Kingston. But the school itself, it just has a lot more resources. Beverly walked me around from classroom to classroom, and, you know, the classrooms looked similar in many ways. Both schools had lots of bright colors, lots of shapes cut from construction paper. But Beverly's classrooms, they just had a lot more technology. The television on the wall and so on. So Uh Television, there's like a little cubbies and and everything. I'm just going to, like, nice little desks everywhere. And I see up there. There's a. There's a. It looks like um, a, a server closet. <laughs> that's the. That's the. Yeah, that's the network system there for you. Yeah. There's a, there's a. There's a. There's a. There's a computer that you can get yes, on the internet. Yes. Yes. Well, yes. Yes. Anything you can get on the internet at any point in time of the day. Yes. 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 And of course, it's not just technology. Um, you remember how hard Candy Lee. Crook Smith was working in Jamaica just to try to get some kind of music classes for her kids. Um, in Beverly School, extracurriculars are just part of the regular day. We have, we at 2 o'clock, a bell goes. Uh, each of our students, every child in the school is involved in something that he or she likes. So you do things, you can do art, you can do football, you can play hockey, you can do game, traditional games. You can do table tennis, road tennis. You can do the, you go you can do IT computer. You can do public speaking. Well, First Alex, did aid. you find out if Americans can send their kids to these Barbados schools? <laughs> I mean, it sounds amazing, and I, yeah. I'm picturing just like the best version of like a 
suburban high school in some wealthy suburb in America. It's not like that. Like, you, you want to get that image out of your mind. And in fact, the schools from the outside, they don't look that different. It's like sort of the, con, the cinder block concrete construction and um but but you know that's been sort of painted to spruce it up but it's still pretty institutional looking it's just that you know the school in Barbados just has lots more space and the classrooms are just filled with more stuff more equipment more teachers more specialists that sort of thing and in fact I asked Beverly the principal in Barbados the same question I asked Candy Lee Crook Smith the principal in Jamaica I asked her what she wished she had but didn't actually have. And she, like every hardworking principal everywhere around the world, said, you know, she would love to have more stuff for her kids um, and that she was she was often going fundraising to try to get more stuff for her classrooms, new beakers for the science lab or educational games that the younger kids could play with, like clocks with the hands that you turn and stuff like that. But she emphasized she got quite a bit from the Ministry of Education. Basically, at this school, if, if we, cannot, we, sh- we shouldn't complain. Because we have most of what we want. We would probably want a few smaller numbers. We'd want things like child psychology, um, psychologists at the schools and nurses and so But we, we, have, we have it more than this. And we have person that we can call on. Once you call, somebody comes. We are pretty okay. <laughs> we don't have much to complain about. That's the honest truth. We don't have a lot to complain about. The things that we complain about, we can probably not complain all the time. <laughs> I got to say, Alex, you and I have been to a lot of countries, and outside of, like, totalitarian dictatorships, <laughs> it is pretty rare to find someone saying, yeah, I have nothing to complain about. My government has given me everything I need. I mean, Barbados was – it was really – I mean, we we did these things when we were there. We went – I went around just to interview random people in the street, and I went to this mall. I went to a mall in Jamaica, and I went to a mall in, in Barbados, and I went up to this – one guy in this mall and it was just this random guy totally randomly selected and I said just tell me about life in Barbados and literally the first thing he said was well we've been blessed with 40 years of excellent excellent governance well, <laughs> do you think we could get that in the US <laughs> it was crazy I, I couldn't imagine like I don't think you could find one person in the United States who would answer that question that way not one I don't think right which makes it kind of confusing because obviously the point we're making with the schools is in a country where there's $15,000 in GDP per person. There's just more stuff for kids. There's more opportunity. Like a a poor kid has more of a realistic expectation that they could climb up the socioeconomic ladder because if you know if they're willing to work hard and they're bright they'll get all the resources they need whereas in Jamaica with $5000 per person gdp the government just doesn't have the surplus there's just not enough so they're actually it's tragic they're dividing kids into basically at 11 either you're going to have a potentially high earning life or you're not and that's that yeah and and the statistics basically back that up like Andrew Holness, the Minister of Education in Jamaica, estimates that about 75% of sixth graders can can read and write. So um, that's versus about 95% in Barbados, a 95% literacy rate. And I, I want to stress, like the Jamaicans, they know all this. And they were actually, I found, refreshingly forthcoming about what the problems are and how they're going to try to solve them. And they're, they're actually, it seems like they're doing some pretty exciting things. Andrew Holness um, says that he knows he's not going to get any more money to spend for a while. Jamaica's economy is sort of contracting again, and, and they're in trouble. But that doesn't mean he can't improve what he already has. And he's trying to figure out how to get more of his elementary schools to operate more like Candy Lee's school, to operate at a higher level. Um, and he figures that if he can get more primary school kids reading well, that that would go a long way to solving 
sort of a lot of problems in Jamaica because, you know, GDP doesn't just affect education. It works the other way. Education affects GDP, too. And Holness says he wants to change the way that Jamaican policymakers have been thinking about education. He says they have to start thinking of education as an investment that will actually help the economy grow. The development of the human resource is not usually included directly as part of that equation that would generate growth. And we're saying it can't be. And we have seen where such flawed policies have happened. We have brought an investment um, with hotels, with um, building new bauxite plants. And the first shortfall is we don't have the people to staff it. Now, once you don't have the people to staff it, then you cannot expect to benefit from the FDI, the foreign direct investment. The, the, the quarrel is we've gotten so much investment, but why isn't the country growing? Jamaica has done fairly well with bringing in investment. But why is it that our GDP only limps along? Um, why is it that there is no transfer to the surrounding communities in any significant way? Why is it that standard of living in these areas where the investment is taking place is not jumping? Clearly, it has to do with how well the population in those areas can participate meaningfully in the development. And the only way you're going to get that is through education. So this year, Planet Money is looking at our big, big question. Why are poor countries poor? Why are rich countries rich? And can we? are there things that can be done to make poor countries less poor? And I feel like your trip to Jamaica and Barbados and the things you've told me about it really helped me crystallize some of the questions we're asking. And I remember you told me that uh, Andrew Holness, the Jamaican education minister, said that uh, they're pretty good. If you're a really bright, poor kid, you're probably going to be discovered. And if you can pass the test. If you can pass the test and you you're brilliant. You will get put into a good school and you will. Yeah, exactly. So the question is a Jamaican B student, like a average person? Are they trapped in poverty because it's a poor country? Is there no way to get them out of poverty? Whereas Barbados is somehow on the other side of that problem where they can actually give the human capital resources to the B students so that they too can share in you know, global prosperity and all of that. And Jamaica and Barbados are really good places to ask these questions, right? Because yeah. economists are always saying it's so hard for us to know anything for sure because we can't do experiments like natural scientists do. We can't hold everything constant and look at one variable. But Jamaica and Barbados maybe possibly are a naturally occurring perfect test lab. Exactly. And, you know, we got the idea of looking at Jamaica and Barbados as, as a good comparison from this paper that um, you came across, right? right yeah, on? I was actually listening to Russ Roberts' podcast, Econ Talk, and he interviewed Peter Blair Henry, who's now the dean of the Stern School of Business at NYU, who wrote this paper doing exactly this, saying Jamaica and Barbados, two great economies to compare because they're so similar, but their growth, their economic growth has been so different. So what, what is different? Right. And I actually was in Jamaica and Barbados with uh, Peter Blair Henry. He's, he's actually from Jamaica. He was born there. Uh, he moved to the States when he was nine. And he was in Jamaica for a conference when, when, when I went and we did a lot of these interviews together. And we're going to be doing a lot more on future podcasts comparing Jamaica and Barbados because there's a lot of really, really interesting things to look at and a lot of really interesting um, sort of it sheds a lot of light on, on, on these questions that we're looking at. Why are poor countries poor? Or how can they try to make themselves richer? And we'll also be continuing to look at 
Haiti. Han and I are going back to Haiti at the end of this week. Right. It's a, all the Caribbean all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it, it does. I mean, we're also planning our big trip to Africa, but that's a right. few months away. And it turns out that the Caribbean has such diverse economies that you actually can learn an awful lot about global economic issues by sort of island hopping in the Caribbean. Right. Because Jamaica and Barbados are very different. But then Haiti is on a totally different scale from Jamaica and Barbados, right? Yeah, vastly poorer. I mean, their GDP per capita is like an eighth of Jamaica's and some tiny fraction of Barbados's. Right. So I think that wraps it up for now. Please send us your thoughts, questions, comments here at planetmoney at npr.org. And also you can check out the blog for pictures of Candy Lee Crook-Smith and her school. And also there's a cool chart comparing the Jamaican versus Barbadian economy. And I'm hoping that we will have a link up to the paper by Peter Blair Henry comparing the two economies. Uh, you can find that all at npr.org slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. We go low rising. We've got to come up. We've got to come up. Low rising. There's no further for us to fall. Yeah.